Hello, welcome to part one of In the 99's Keldheim Preview Analysis Breakdown Bonanza. Whatever you want to call it. Basically, uh, as of the 15th, Keldheim cards have started getting previewed. And we got to look at every single one of them to see if there's a treasure trove of possibilities in this set. Or if it's going to be yet another dud that will just file away as terrible for Commander. Now, on the plus side, we have seen some pretty cool cards for Commander already out of this set, and it's only been like two days. So I will give them the benefit of the doubt on it being a good set. One thing that worries me is that gods have been very hit and miss. Uh, some of the old gods from Theros have been fantastic Commanders. We're slotted well in, that, in the 99 while some of the ones from my mind, Cat, not nearly as good. Our Devastation, they had a couple good ones. Locust God's my personal favorite. But, again, they had some that were absolutely terrible. So hopefully these ones we see will slot well into Commander. And based off of the one we've seen so far, I think that we're safe to say that at least they'll have a place in our format. But let's go over the cards first. We'll talk about the gods second, and then there's one last piece that I want to talk about just in terms of the controversy around preview cards and compensation and all that. Just want to give my my piece of the, you know, my two cents on it, I guess. But let's start off with uh, what was released on the 15th for a preview. So we got eight of the new flip lands. Uh, basically, it's the other half of what we didn't get back in Zendikar Rising, uh, I, there's nothing much to say. You get a Simix flip land, you get a, you get a uh, Golgari, yeah, you don't really care. You get the color that you want. But there are some cool ones that I have seen come out of the previews on the 15th. The first one I want to talk about is a Boros card. Now, I know I have shit on Boros constantly, and for good reason. It is the worst color pairing in all of Magic and probably always will be. But this card does help bring one of its shining light commanders just a little bit higher in my heart to possibly being playable. This card is Showdown of the Scalds. Two red-white for an enchantment saga that the first step of it is you exile the top four cards of your library until the end of your next turn you may play those cards and then the second and third part of that saga is whenever you cast a spell this turn you put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control the reason i think that is awesome for feather is that feather is going to let you play those cards they're going to go back to your hand because they'll go right back to exile and basically, you're getting four more cards that will help with him. And then for the second and third, if you're playing that Feather where you've got a bunch of low costs just pumping out as many spells as possible, I don't see any reason why you couldn't get for the second and third turn four, five, six, seven plus one plus one counters on Feather while keeping him protected like you would normally do in the deck. So I think that card is going to slot perfectly into Feather the Redeemed and makes me actually want to build him. It would be my first Boros deck I have ever built. Probably the only one I would ever build. 
but I might have some fun if I got to get that card out. Now, the other card that we saw on the 15th, this one's going to actually go with a few other ones, and you'll see the theme here in a second. But the second one is Pyre of Heroes. On a nutshell, it's a breeding pod with a few extra little uh, restrictions on it. But it is an artifact, two colorless, and you can pay two and tap it, sack a creature, search your library for a creature that shares a creature type with a sacrifice creature, plus that creature's converted mana cost, plus one. Um, and then you put that card into the battlefield. So basically it's breeding pool, or not breeding pool, uh, birthing pod, but with the extra step that it has to be a shared creature type. Now, while that's pretty cool for any tribal, the reason that that slots well with some of the other Kaldheim cards that we've seen is that we are probably going to see a pretty strong presence of elves. We've got Canopy Tactician, that's a three and a green for an elf warrior, three, three, that gives other elves plus one, plus one, and taps for three green mana. So it's pretty safe to say that this standard set is going to probably push in the realm of elves and possibly dwarves and uh, clerics, things like that, just based off of what we've seen so far for that uh that tribal but in terms of edh it's going to help an already strong deck uh become just a little bit stronger so some cool cards to look out for there but the main card in all of this uh and just to be aware we do have some other cards i'll pop them up on the screen but i don't want to go over them because they're pretty uh they're pretty normal uh Realm Walker uh, basically just lets you play creatures that share a creature type um, with it, at, or the creature type you choose. Uh, off the top of your library, we've got a new Kaya coming out that gives you some extra protection for your creatures through the form of uh, ghost counters or ghost form counters that uh, basically allow it to return to your hand and then you make a spirit or something. Um those ones aren't as exciting to me. The one that's really exciting to me right now is Helvar, God of Battle. Two white white for a 4-4 legendary creature god. Creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. At the beginning of each combat, you may attach aura or equipment. Uh, you may attach target aura or equipment attached to a creature you control to target creature you control. So you can flip around auras and enchantments uh, and equipments pretty easily with him. That's not the part that is absolutely crazy about this card. What's crazy is that it is a flip card. Uh, just like the Lance, just like some of the uh, the sorceries in that from um, Zendikar Rising, this one can be played either as the god or as his trusty sword, Sword of the Realms. One in a white for a legendary equipment. Equipped creatures get plus two, plus zero, and have vigilance. And whenever equipped creature dies, return it to its owner's hand. Equip cost of one in a white. In itself, not that great. But what I like to see here is that this is one of the few instances where your commander can subvert the the typical role of a commander so when it's in the command zone based off of my extensive research of the judge's rules 
it will it will uh as it's being cast from the command zone you can choose what side comes out so as a uh, as a as a god he he has some great abilities double strike uh, for any enchanted or equipped creatures and then the ability to throw those around at the beginning of each combat um, but if you have another card on the field, one that is a, an absolute must to at least stick around and you don't have another way, which it's mono white, you probably, if it's gone, you're, you're going to have a tougher time getting it back than some of the other colors. This gives you the ability to say, you know what, I don't need my commander today. I need the equipment. I need to give it that ability that when it dies, it just returns to my hand and then that equipment will stay out there. Uh, basically, it just gives a it gives a dual role. It gives some flexibility. Some will say that there's a downside to this, and the fact that you've now lost your god in terms of it being out because you'd have to bounce this back to your hand. It would have to be destroyed. It'd have to be exiled for you to have a chance to get the god back. But to me, I think that you could build a deck to really say, "Hey, I for half of this deck, the sword is more utilized for the other half." Helvar is more utilized. I'm going to play it as, you know, what comes out? What uh what do I need? And I I think it gives you a little bit of a split. Now, I guess one caveat I have here, the one uh flaw in in my judgment on this is that this in itself isn't a good enough reason. This card is not good enough to say I could build a deck that goes two ways because both sides of the cards are are polar opposites or lend to different strategies. But I think it's a good sign. I think even if we get one or two cards, uh, which my assumption is we'll probably get four other gods out of this set, um, we might see one that is is powerful enough and flexible enough that you can do that. You you can say, I am almost playing two separate decks that may synergize in a way, but have the ability to stand on their own. Or this the side of my commander is so powerful that it protects or it, it win cons out when I need it. And when I'm not prepared for it, I still have the other half of the card. So that that's the one thing that I think is really cool about this. I think it's it's something new. Is it gonna play out to be a a whole new way to to play EDH? Probably not. Uh, but is it something different? Is it a a commander that you can build differently from other commanders? Almost certainly. And that's what I really like about it. Now, we have to wait, I don't know, however long, I can, like a month or something, <laughs> until we can learn some more about these cards and see what else is coming to the table. But I think based off of the just the initial few that we've seen, the fact that we're getting the, the other side of the, the flip lands, which we knew we were getting, um, those will certainly help Commander. The tribal stuff coming out, the the birthing pod with restriction, that is going to be nice for Commander. The showdown is going to be decent for Commander. And there's a few other 
that will lend itself to some low cost uh, com or low tier commander decks, just low powered casual ones. There's a there's a Certland Elementist. That's a it's a wizard giant. It's one that I I kind of really like. I understand it is a terrible card. So if if you're thinking that I think it's a good card, then you're mistaken. I just like what it does, uh, and I think. If you played with a casual group, you might have some fun playing that card. But again, we'll have to wait and see. Now, the last thing that I wanted to talk about today, uh, just in this quick little tidbit until we get some more cards, is uh, a, a seeming, I don't know, controversy over whether or not uh, card previewers should be paid. Now... I, I get that some of them may or may not feel um, like, you know, maybe they're feeling they're feeling like they're being exploited for their fan base by Watsy saying, you know, hey, take this card, show it to this many thousands of people for us uh, and, you know, we'll get the card out there. What I don't think they quite understand is that those cards, Watsy could just release them on their own. They could release them on their site. They could go to a website like Mythic Spoiler and say, here you go. Here is the releases for today to show off. They could go to uh, LGSs or maybe not LGSs, but they could go to online uh, hobby storefronts like Card Kingdom or even some of the ones like TCG Player and say, hey, put this on the front page. It'll bring traffic. Because that's that's honestly the point of it, is that it's it's a symbiotic relationship. It's them saying, here's a card to preview, absolutely free. You don't have to do anything. Just show the card off in your podcast. Show the card off in your videos or on Twitter or on Instagram. And it will help you bring more people in because... As people share that, they will see your name attached to it. And Watsy doesn't have to do much of the legwork to get that out. They literally just have to send you a card or send you a, you know, a file of the card to show off. That's all they have to do. And so I think when people talk about compensation here, they seem to think that it's an advertisement that they should be reimbursed for on their time. Uh, typically speaking, you know, an advertisement, like if I pulled up Raycons right now, or I did Dollar Shave Club or any of the other numerous ones that you see on YouTube channels every single day, those are ones where, you know, they've, they've reached out or the, the content creators reached out to them to, to get revenue for that video to say, I've got so many thousands of people but they're usually not connected in any way. You know, if you're watching uh, uh, Dead Meat, that's one I love the Dead Meat YouTube channel. He does Raycon. He does some other ones. Um, they're not connected at all. It's not helping him to show Raycons. It's not getting him any more publicity to show a product. On the flip side, we get publicity when we show those products. When we're showing cards for a game that we primarily talk about, that's helping us. So 
I guess to me, my my two cents on the whole situation is, you know, it's helping you too. Your payment is the fact you got large enough to get that card. You got to preview it. I would love to preview a card. If anyone who's watching this knows Watsy, tell them to send me a card. I'll take a land. I'll take a swamp. I'll take anything. I'd be... I would be so happy to take a card and show it off to say, hey, I am the first one that gets to show this card to the public. I think that is such a neat thing. And I think the fact that some people treat it like it's an, an advertisement and that, you know, you're burdening them by by giving them that ability. I think that's just uh, I think it's tasteless, to be completely honest. But uh, that's all I got. Short video. Uh, well, no, longer video, shorter podcast. We've been trying to get the podcast back up. I'm still recuperating from COVID, so I do apologize for that. Uh, we're just trying to figure out everything with uh, with scheduling and just me trying to trying to get my my energy back up. So, but yeah, no. With that, I mean that's uh, that's an episode. I'll see you guys in a couple days when we get some more cards. All right, bye.